Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a personality who's roamed the earth from Philly to L.A., Fargo to Edinburgh, Scotland. He's been featured in the Chicago Sun-Times and acted in plays with James Earl Jones, Julie Harris, and many others. He's currently the host of the Christopher Gabriel program on 940 ESPN Fresno. We welcome our friend, Christopher Gabriel. Greetings, my friend. It is good to talk to you. Let's go beyond the mic, brother. You host a sports talk show, and I know we both hate that term. It's not brain surgery. It's not sports talk. It's just a conversation. Why? Well, you're absolutely right. A conversation to me, Sean, is you and I sitting at the Billy Goat Tavern in Chicago, having a double cheeseburger, a couple of beers, and simply talking like Sean and Christopher, just a couple of friends. There's no airs, nobody trying to be something else, nobody is on. I think when we frame things like, I have a talk show, or this is an interview, it takes on a life that, for me, there's some veneers there. And so, like you, it's a conversation. That's what it is. I have conversations with my friends, like you, like we're having right now. I have conversations with my daughter. Sometimes those are one-way conversations. So we have <laughs> conversations. Nonetheless, that to me is it. Because I think it's in our business, Don. Let me offer you this. When I got to Fargo, I pitched an idea, and this will really tie into what we're, we're talking about here. I pitched an idea about doing one segment a week called New Music Thursday. And the management of the station said, well, what are we talking about here? And this was at uh, my station, their 970 WDAY, Heritage Station, one of the first 30 stations in the country. And I said, well, there's a great music scene in Fargo and in the upper Midwest. Fargo is not like the movie. It's a couple hundred thousand people there. It's a wonderful place. I think we should honor and highlight local musicians and see what we can do. And they said, you don't have have musicians. You don't have live music on talk radio. And I said, well, who who made that rule? Who said you can't do that? So I talked him into it. Sean, by the time I left after six years, we had in studio Grammy winners, Grammy nominees, Latin Grammy winners, and Latin Grammy nominees that were adding a trip to Fargo from Minneapolis on their tours to come up and be on the program simply because it was a unique way for them to showcase themselves and their music. It's always about you know, who's making these rules. Who makes the rules? And I say, I think it's a conversation. I think we're just going to sit down over a beer or a cup of coffee and a burger or some eggs. We're going to have a conversation. And it's similar to when I was in Fargo. You know, you, you say that we can't have live music. I say we can't. And it turned out that I was right. For what? That's the whole thing with the be on the mic. People said no, and I just said I'm tired of saying no. Yeah. One of the things that I always find fascinating with people is finding out who they idolized when they were growing up. Growing up, who were your sports idols? Oh, my goodness. Well, I grew up in Chicago, and I wanted to be Bobby Hall. Bobby Hall, the great number nine, the Golden Jets, Chicago Blackhawks. Just the way he skated, the way he could shoot, the way he hit, and the way he carried himself off the ice. I remember my dad took me to this function. Uh, it was some important dinner for, I, I don't know, some restaurant association thing, because I grew up in a restaurant family in Chicago. I mean, isn't that what every Greek does? If you're Greek, you have a restaurant. 
if you decide that you want to do something else with your life, well, the Greek Council of Restaurant Owners won't allow you to do that. You have to have a restaurant. So my dad took me to this event, and Bobby Hall was there. And much to my great pleasure, even though I was just a kid, but I remember it to this day, he was just, he made me feel important. And he talked to me about the game. He talked to me about players that he was going up against, like Gordy Howe and, and Bellavo and Richard uh, and all of these guys in the original six. And I just thought, this is who I want to be. Now, the problem was I needed to learn how to skate. That was probably the big obstacle. But I wanted to be Bobby Hall. Another guy that I wanted to be on the old 1971 Chicago Bulls, I wanted to be Butterbean Love, Bob Love. He had the sweetest shot. He was just the, the smoothest player. You know, that Bulls team, Chet Walker, Chet Jet, Butterbean Love, Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan, sadly, who, who passed away, Bobby Weiss, Tom Borwinkle. That team was probably one of the best teams that the NBA had seen, but the problem was there was a team in the Western Conference a little better than them, and that was the Lakers of Chamberlain and West and so on. But I just thought, you know, if I could be a basketball player at a high level, I wanted to be Bob Bob because it just, he was so smooth. So it was those two guys. And mind you, the Chicago Bears of my youth, Gail Stair and Dick Butkus and, and Doug Plank and Gary Fensick and so on. But, you know, I was really a hockey football guy. And so those are the two players that I really I admire. Host of the Christopher Gabriel program on 940 ESPN Fresno joins us beyond the mic. Christopher, what's the one game that hurts so much to think about it? For me, it's the drive. What is it for you? That's a great question. And I tell you this from now until forever. It is the 1972 gold medal basketball final between the United States and the Soviet Union. Oh, I know this one. Oh, yeah. We had never lost a game. You know, this was, of course, in Munich. That was a, an insane Olympics. But uh, Doug Collins got fouled really hard with three seconds left. Star player out of uh, Illinois. Actually, I think it was Illinois State or Southern Illinois. It's been a while, but I remember what happened. Doug could barely walk to the foul line. Two shots. He gives the U.S. a 50-49 to 49 lead. Soviet Union inbounds the ball, length of the court, doesn't happen. They don't score. United States wins. There's some difficulty, but there was a, a question with the referees. Nobody speaks the same language. Soviet Union gets a second try. Again, they don't score. Game over. Americans going wild. Oh, wait, there's a problem. Not so fast. So yeah, close. So close. They give them a third try. And on the third try, they score the bucket. And gold medal goes to the Soviet Union. I remember being in tears in front of the television set, out of my mind. And I've always appreciated Doug Collins saying, whenever he's been asked, that every year, the International Olympic Committee, they are offered their silver medals. And he said, there isn't a player who's ever going to take that silver medal because we won that game. And they did. That is, you know, the kick in the cross game for me. Hands down, there's a bunch, but that stands above and beyond anything else, Sean. Who mentored you in media, Christopher, and gave you that creative boost to where you are today? Well, that's a 
that's a very good good question as well. It's kind of a multi-part answer, so bear with me here. But as you well know, as you know, we're friends, and brevity is not my strong suit. I was doing a play at Jeff Daniels Theater Company in Detroit, well, in Michigan. The play had moved to downtown Detroit. Mitch Album had seen me in Tuesdays with Maury in the Twin Cities. He brought me out to do his uh, one of his plays called Duck Hunter Shoots Angels, a farce about a couple of Alabama brothers that go to go duck hunting, and instead they shoot down an angel. That's, there's, a, there's an Alabama football joke in there somewhere. During lunch one day at, at his WJR office, I told him that I was really creatively burned out, and he suggested talk radio. And broadcast journalism was my minor in college, and I seemed to make some sense to me. And one thing led to another when I got back to Minneapolis, and he nudged me into it. Sure enough, I found my way into being a call screener for a new news talk station, which was a sister station to legendary sports station there, KFAN. So there were several people that really taught me this business. One, and he's, he's a tremendous, tremendous sports talk show host, Dan Barrero at KFAN. I used to sit in a production studio and listen to Dan when I was interning and then when I was part-time and then when I was full-time because I had hours opposite of his. And I would sit in that studio and just listen to Dan in how he crafted his show and how he was so civil in the way he would approach topics, the way he would approach guests. Even when he got heated, it was always organized. And then him and I would talk a lot. And he would always, you know, just tell me just little pearls of wisdom that I carry with me to this day. He's one. Another is Doug Westerman. Doug is the person who gave me my first job. Doug today is the general manager of a station in Minnesota, but he also is a producer of college football and NFL games for Compass. Yeah, Compass Radio Networks. And Doug is the guy who taught me the nuts and bolts. He taught me how to go into breaks, you know, coming out of breaks. He taught me production. I mean, he is a hardened radio guy, just like Dan is. And I'll tell you, to this day, Dan sets the bar. I'm always trying to reach the bar that Dan put out there. Dan taught me something that I really carry with me on my program today, Sean. And that is that, yeah, it's, we're, we're doing sports, but have to do more than that. And I, I approach the work because of the way Dan taught, like a steakhouse. You go to a steakhouse, and you're going to the filet, or the New York, or the ribeye. But you're also going to get a Caesar. You're going to get a vegetable. You're going to get an appetizer. You're going to get dessert. You're going to have an after-dinner drink, perhaps. You're going to get a lot of things surrounding the reason that you went to the steakhouse to begin with. That's what I try to do on my program every day. Give people a full meal. So I learned that from Dan. I learned that as well from Doug. And I think today, Sean, I think today, you know, you've got a couple of different types of posts. You have the breakdown tape guys, and they're great at what they do. They're just great at what they do. I'm not really that dialed into, well, Bill Smith, that 267 against left-handers, uh, seventh inning on, on Sundays, on grass. I, I, I couldn't care less about that. I'm more interested in the why. I'm interested in the, you know, in all of the things that got him to a major league team. And I'm interested in, you know, why do you have pizza 
after the game. Obviously, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what Bill Smith does, but I want to give people more. And I learned that from Dan, and I learned that from Doug. Perhaps that was a longer answer than you want. Our friend Christopher Gabriel from 940 ESPN Fresno joins us beyond the mic, and let's ask that question. Why? You spent 26 years on the professional stage. Which part of the theater has the worst reputation, and why? Oh, boy, that's another good question. You know, the theater world is broken up into a couple of different areas. You have the creative folks, the folks who are on stage, the lighting designers, scenic design, costume design, you have directors, you have music directors, you have all of that group sort of in one box. And then you have the, like a restaurant, that's the back of the house. And then you have the front of the house. The front of the house, the managing director of the theater, the accounting staff, it's the artistic director, who is usually somebody very creative, but they're dealing in a different world than you are. They're dealing, you're dealing with creating characters you know, living truthfully under imaginary circumstances, having a shared journey of discovery. All of those artists, that, that's what our job is. Their job is to make sure the theater doors don't get closed. So I think a lot of times, in terms of the, the reputation part of it, I think it's the business side of theater that is the most frustrating because the business side of theater is important to keep the doors open but a lot of times they are forced or they, they think that they're forced to make decisions that compromise creativity and they compromise artists doing the best work that they can, or they compromise an artistic director or a director, you know, coming together and deciding on wanting to do a play for the season. But they'll say, yeah, that's, that's probably, that's only going to sell this many tickets and we need to sell another 200. And what happens a lot of times is that great play that may end up blowing the roof off the place gets shelved because they're projecting in their minds something that's not going to be as critically or as commercially successful. And so the creativity gets compromised. So I would say it's the business side more often than not. The necessary side, but it's the business side that has probably earned their reputation for being the frustrating side of professional theater. Now, Christopher, you were supporting yourself doing you know, those theater days as a sous chef in New York City, among other jobs. What was the name of the restaurant you worked at, and what would you not eat there? I worked for a little place called Max's Italian, and it was a much better place than the name would suggest. I also worked for a caterer. The caterer had better food than Max. If there was anything at Max's thinking about this place. I was a guy that would make Caesar salad at the table. I would do flaming dessert at the table. There was a dish that I wouldn't eat there. It would probably be anything that came under the heading of seafood. Anything. Because as good as... as I'm happy to say they're not in business anymore, which is why I'm so happy to make these comments. Uh, because I'm convinced that the fresh seafood came out of the East River. As most good seafood comes in New York City. And yeah, there you go. You know, New York City water is great. I would say, you know, the, the pastas were great. The meat, you know, everything was, all of that was great. Uh, the menu was terrific. But the seafood 
not, not so good. Now, on the catering side, that was a lot of fun. That was more fun because we would, I worked for a chef, Chef Russ, and, you know, we got to do all kinds of creative things and then figure out ways to pack it up and take it out to the furthest reaches of Long Island and go to places that none of us could ever afford. But we would get to spend six to eight hours there doing a party of one sort or another. One party comes to mind. It was a sweet 16. And they brought us out there for dessert. So we had brought, we brought cheesecake. We did all, all kinds of, you know, pie. And, and we were, we made everything, but we were also served. And it, as I said, it was a sweet 16. And there was one girl. There was one girl on a beach chair in this backyard that was the size of AT&T State. And I hear this. She is snapping her fingers at me. And, I, you know, I, yeah. Uh-huh. I, now, I need this job, and we don't want to alienate anybody, but don't be snapping your fingers at me, girl. Don't, just don't be doing that. And so I go over and I said, are you trying to get my attention? And she said, yeah, I like another piece of cheesecake. This is a little warm. And I said, well, it's probably because it's 85 degrees outside and you're sitting outside and cheesecake's going to get warm. If you have to go inside, and I said it nicely, you go inside, it'll probably be, have a better tilt. She said, you are the hired help and you will do as I say. <laughs> she, she, she doesn't know, she doesn't know what she's dealing with. And I said to her, in so many words, um, no, sweetheart, that's that's not how this is gonna work. Uh, I will I will do this, 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 but I'm not gonna do this, this, this. He went running this to mom. Mom came out and said, "What's the problem?" And he explained, and I explained, and go figure. Mom sided with me because I guess this little girl had a reputation doing that stuff. And you know, Sean, it's like, look, we're, we're I'm just there for a paycheck, and I'm there to. To, to provide some good service, but don't, don't just snap your fingers at me. You know, it was moments like that that motivated me much, much more to get more acting work. And thankfully, I didn't have to do a lot of that stuff for very long because I was very, very fortunate, really very blessed to, to get work. You ever had anybody snap their fingers at you? Yes, my wife all the time. <laughs> there you go. We're going beyond the mic with Christopher Gabriel from 940 ESPN in Fresno. We both love cooking. What's the one thing that you are still trying to master, but you just can't do it? Oh, anything in the grilling, the outdoor grilling area. I, I've i never gotten it right. Uh, I mean, if I'm doing a tri-tip, you know, or back in the Midwest, it was, it was brisket. Uh, I just, I can't get it right. I either overcook, I undercook, I set the grill on fire. You know, I can pan saute just about anything. I can cook dessert. There's a few things that I can't cook, but I absolutely suck when it comes to grilling. I'm just, if I moved to Texas and I was your neighbor and how much you'd love that, I can only imagine. If I'm there and, you know, the idea was, hey, let's do a joint grilling tonight. I'd have to say, Sean, I, you know what? I'll, I'll be your prep guy. I'll season, I'll trim, I'll butterfly, I'll fillet. But when it comes to the actual grilling, it's not going to be me because I will ruin the dinner for you 
your lovely wife, and your family, it'll be over. You want me to make a dessert in the kitchen? That I'll do. You want bananas foster? I got you covered. You want strawberry flambe? Done. But the grilling, you're doing it. Fine. Done. We'll do it. So if we were on a podcast called Men Who Cook, what recipe would you talk about? Oh, I think I think it would be the thing that I am most proud of is my Caesar salad. I spent years working on my Caesar salad, and I make it traditionally uh, with egg yolk and, of course, with, with anchovies, not anchovy paste, and with fresh garlic, not jarred chopped garlic, uh, and fresh lemon juice, salt, cracked black pepper, Dijon mustard, and I make my own croutons. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do the bread, uh, both sides under the broiler in the oven, then I'll leave it out to dry out. And I will, when it comes out of the oven, I will make sure to kind of glaze it with olive oil. And then for the, for a little bit of garnish on the salad, on a flat top, I will take Asiago cheese and grill that up. So they look, they look like, like silver dollar pancakes. And I'll put a couple of those in everybody's salad. Caesar salad is my favorite thing to, to make. Absolutely my favorite thing to make. And it's the thing, it's, it's the salad in restaurants that gets me crazy. When I go in and they bring me a Caesar salad and I see cherry tomatoes and I see pieces of sliced hard-boiled eggs, and it's like, what, what the hell is this? This isn't a Caesar salad. Well, yes, it is. No, it's not. No. No, it's not. I didn't order a top salad. I didn't order a chef salad. I ordered a Caesar salad, which has Caesar dressing and croutons and maybe some, you know, some uh, grated or shaved Parmesan cheese on top or Asiago, whatever you prefer, not Romano. And uh, that's what a Caesar salad is. So yeah, that would be that would be my signature dish. Uh, but and, you know, it would it would go with probably one of my pastas that I like to make as well. We're joined beyond the mic by Christopher Gabriel from 940 ESPN in Fresno. The biggest question or issue for a sports talk host is what do you talk about when all you have right now is UFC, Korean baseball, fake wrestling, and maybe some sports in the future. You know, I have been asked this. Uh, a few times and I have said to, to people, you don't need to have, I mean, it, it, listen, we miss the game. You miss them. I miss them. We miss March Madness. We were missing baseball, the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, we miss all that. But there is content out there. You just have to look for it. And this goes back to something that we were talking about a little earlier. And that is that and this is where I think the model, the model of sports talk stations, traditional sports talk stations, if it hasn't changed for everybody yet, it's going to change. You know, sports fans eat. Sports fans listen to music. Sports fans listen to news. And I think to, to offer a well-rounded, going back to the steakhouse that I mentioned earlier, a well-rounded show, you need to bring those other elements in, which is why. Uh, and you can offer you know how I do my program, I, it, which is why in the last month or so, uh, yesterday, yesterday I had Robert Costa from the Washington Post, CBS, and MSNBC. No, we weren't breaking down Democrats and Republicans. We were talking about the nuances of interviews. We were talking about the politics of sport inside the belt. He told some fascinating stories about when he gets the best content interviewing President Trump. He talked about music and the influence of music in his life. He started out as a music reporter. I've had people like Robert on. I've had stand-up comedians on, photographers. Uh, a guy that I went to college with, Doug Richardson, he wrote Die Hard 2, Bad Boys. 
you know, a, a member of other films. He's a, he's a successful author. I've had him on. I've, you have to find things that are going to keep people engaged. I really believe that the best sports talk radio, the best talk radio period, starts with relationships. And I believe you and I, you and I could just sit in my studio or yours and talk for an hour and just be who we are, be Sean Dillon, be Christopher Gabriel, and keep people there. Because I think when you have a good friendship or a good relationship with someone, that automatically draws people in. And so to get back to the beginning of your question for sports, even though we haven't had the games, there's been name, image, and likeness. There's been the you know the one-off transfer, the transfer rule that the NCAA's been, been talking about. There was the NFL draft. There's all the A to Z about different players and things that have been going on. There's any number of things locally, regionally, and nationally that are there. But you know, you know, Sean, people in our business just do the work. They, they, if they're just looking for box sports, then to me, those guys fall into the category of the breakdown tape guy. Either you're a storyteller or you're not. And if you're a storyteller, you know that a great story might be right in front of you. It might come from nothing more than driving by a store and you see something that just some haphazard conversation in front of a store. You see, you watch a little body language. Maybe you pull up, you park, and you listen a little bit for a couple of minutes, and boom, you have 20 minutes on your program. So I think, ultimately, we're either communicators or, or we aren't. We're either storytellers or we aren't. And if there's no games, uh, if there's no games, then we have to look beyond the game, like beyond the mic, and see what's out there that is, if I think it's interesting, then I think you're going to think it's interesting. Uh, generally speaking, if it's something that my producer gives me that I said, oh, you know, if it doesn't excite me, then I'm probably not going to use it. But I just, I just think we have to have a wider berth, Sean. I think we have to have a wider berth of what we are willing to to bring onto our program. And our audience will tell us whether they're with us or not. Uh, they will. I mean, I, I had a guy on here. There's a guy here locally. His name is Coke. He's, he's a legendary. He's legendary. He's Greek. He hosts a morning, uh, you know, one of those news magazine morning shows. He also does the weather. He was an actor in Los Angeles for a long time. One of the most enjoyable, delightful, creative, disarming human beings I've ever met in my life. And when he comes on my program, he's not a sports guy. He's a sports fan. He's not a sports guy. But we're both Greek. And we both have that heritage. We're both 100% Greek. He's really Greek because he was born in Greece. And we'll start talking about making gyros. Not gyros. Gyros. Not gyros. Not gyros. It's gyros. Yes. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Suzlaki. We'll talk about baklava. We'll talk about family. We'll talk about Greek dancing. And it's a myth. Phones light up. People are emailing because of what? Because people can relate to the food part of it. They can relate to culture. They don't have to be Greek. Whatever their culture is, whether they're Scandinavian, whether they're Irish, German, they can relate to the dancing. They can relate to the music. There's so many things that are relatable to an audience. And I think a lot of times, and maybe I'm taking a few off-ramps here, Sean, but I think a lot of times we sell our audiences short. We sell our listeners short. These are our on-air families. The reason we do what we do is because we want to be a part of their lives. We want them to be a part of our lives. 
So if we're not willing to share of ourselves, then what's the point? I've got two daughters. One is 16 and a half. The other one is 13. And, you know, they are the, the loves of my life. And they are also trying to put me into a home. Uh, there's, there's just no, no two ways about it. There's so much to mine there. And, and I'm not going to tell the story about their report cards. They're great students, but nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear the story that I'm the butt of a joke. And I am happy to tell that story because in our audience, we have moms, we have dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, that can all relate to the daughter, the son, the nephew, the niece, the grandson, or the granddaughter. And that's what we want, isn't it? We, we oh, yeah. want those connections. We want those, we want those lifelines. So, again, going all the way back to where you started with no games, there's so much out there for us to talk about. You can go to your backyard and where you're growing basil or parsley, and maybe you had a fight with a bee, and you tell the story, and suddenly, I don't, my show isn't based on phone calls, but suddenly the phones will light up, people will take a, a call or two to talk about it, but the point is, it shows that people are relating to it. People get it. And to me, that's the biggest thing that I like to tell a Sean Dillon, and although you already know this because you're a great storyteller, this is what I like to tell broadcast journalism classes. Don't limit yourself. Don't have tightly drawn parameters. Let the, the field of what you're going to talk about, let it be like a giant buffet. You're going to a great buffet and there's 30 plates there for you to choose from and just take a choose and put something together that's a full meal. So that's what I think about, about you know, why we don't have games, but it's okay. You know, I think we've all learned a lot from this. I think we've all learned that we can go beyond the game and create great content or at least test and measure. And that, that's what I brought with the theater, on is testing and measure. You know, when you're in a rehearsal, if you're in rehearsal for Hamlet or you're doing Henry V, and the big, those are big cast shows, and you've got a six-week, eight-week rehearsal period, Every time you're going out there working on Act 3, Scene 1, you might work on Act 3, Scene 1 for an hour, and every time you're doing it, you're doing it over and over and over, you're going to try something different until something makes sense. And then when you're finally in performance, you're not going to change the blocking, but you're going to continue to try to mine the moment and find a special moment with your character and with the relationship that you have with the person on stage with you. You're going to keep doing that. You're testing and measuring. And I think that's that's the biggest thing for me as a broadcaster. I'm going to throw something out there. I'm going to take risks. And if I fail, well, that's okay. You know what? We'll fail, and I'll fall on my face, and we'll laugh about it, and we'll move forward. I had a mentor uh, from the Seattle Repertory Theater and from the Bristol Old Vic Theater. His name was W. Duncan Roth. Rest his soul. He told me something years ago, John, I've never forgotten, and I have lived my entire professional life with this phrase. You will never achieve success if you ensure against failure. And his whole point was take risk. Take risk. Don't be afraid to try something a little different. And in our business, why shouldn't I bring Robert Costa on? Why shouldn't I bring Andrew Zimmern from Bizarre Foods uh, on my program? Why shouldn't I bring somebody on who repairs Zamboni? Why shouldn't I bring on the guy in Jamestown, North Dakota, who cuts hair? Why should I do? Why should I do that? How about I bring on somebody? I used to do a thing, Sean, called 
listener correspondence. I haven't done it here, but I want to start it back up again. Four times a year, I would have a listener go to, he or she would be going to an event that I couldn't be at. The one that comes to mind immediately was Lollapalooza in Chicago. I couldn't get down to Grant Park for it. So a gal named Stephanie, he was going down there with her then boyfriend, now husband. And I had her file a report from Grant Park about Lollapalooza. And it was absolutely brilliant. You would have thought she was a radio veteran. So I had her do that. Another time I had a gal who was online at Disneyland for the reopening of Space Mountain. And this is the kind of thing that audiences love because they were suddenly represented by this listener correspondent. And it's real. Yeah, it's real. Yes, it's real. There's nothing scripted. I didn't know where these were going to go. My goodness, I was lighting candles at the Greek church before these things went on, hoping that they weren't going to be total disasters, but they weren't. None of them were. I had a friend named Lance who, uh, he became a friend because he was my listener correspondent. When I was in Fargo, he went down to Vikings training camp down in Mankato, Minnesota, and he filed reports. He was filing reports for me every day of camp. This is the kind of thing that I believe falls into testing and measuring. Why not try something? See if it works. If it doesn't work, so what? You tried it, you move forward. How's that for a long answer for a simple question? It's what I expect from my friend, Christopher Gabriel from the Christopher Gabriel program, 940 ESPN in Fresno. We're talking about testing and measuring. My son just graduated. He's heading off to the University of Cincinnati for his first year to be a music teacher. And one of the proudest moments of my life, you have a daughter, you have a son. And everyone thinks about those moments. And if you're a parent, when they hand you that child and they put it in your arms and you look and you go, I am going to defend you to my dying day. We may fight, we may argue, we may, we, we may hug, but I will always be part of your life because I am your dad and I love you with all my heart. Back to measuring and testing. My daughter started school and then she quit. She said, college isn't for me. And she's doing design and creative stuff. And because of that creative stuff, she's making money. My son, he wants to be a music teacher. Both of them test me in different ways. How do your daughters test you? And how is that a challenge for being a dad nowadays? Well, yeah, they, yeah, they both do. They both do test me uh, a lot. They, they test different ways because they are exactly three and a half years apart the older one uh the older one is kaylee the younger one is Caden. and kaylee tests me you know she's getting ready to go into her junior year of high school and so she's always been incredibly responsible she is a marvelous student she's a great kid and she has wonderful friends so it's tough sometimes to say no to her because she is responsible. But where she tests is the social media realm. Why can't I have Snapchat? Why can't I have... Oh, man. You know, it's all these things. I I know that. Yeah. We got her a phone. She got the handed-down phone, the older, one of the older iPhones. And she initially said, I don't know that this 
this phone's working out right. <laughs> no, 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 it is. It it really is. Does it dial? Does it dial, Dad? Does it dial, Mom? Yep, it's working right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because you know the funny thing is that I said, you know, sweetheart, I got it. I, I, I you're probably thinking it's yeah. You know what? How about this? How about no phone? How about that? How about we do no phone? And and, and then suddenly the phone's working right. Um, but she's. We waited a long time to allow her. She's not on Facebook. She, we waited a long time to let her have Instagram, and she knows that you know we're going to look and we're going to monitor it. And, we're gonna, and she has been just phenomenal. But then the Snapchat, stuff, and then TikTok, and this, and so she tests by seeing how much we'll allow her, and it's not much, uh, or the, how late she can stay out. And there's been a couple of those where, all right. Follow us if you're ready to get picked up, but no later than 10 at this stand. And suddenly, it's 10.15, it's 10.30, it's 10.45. Exactly. And I am just, I am climbing the walls, you know, still, still do the, well, I, um, what? Say, okay, so you don't say what, you heard me, what, and, and so it's still, so she's, she's pushing the boundaries with social media and with time. How late can she stay out? How far can she go with that? The younger one, Kaden. So Kaden's got her name because in all of the tests with the the doctor, when my wife was pregnant with her, there was something not sounding right with her heart. And then they would do the ultrasound and everything was perfect. And so while we were still in the stage of things where we were concerned, we decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer, and so okay, we, we need to think of something that, you know, a normal cadence, where something's normal, like four, four times. And, and then we go, oh, uh, that's her name, cadence. Well, he is absolutely the human being that marches to the proverbial different drum. This child is like a firecracker in a bottle. And the way she tests me is by the last word in every discussion or disagreement. And Sean, what makes me nuts is that she's a little me when I was her age. So she's smarter than you. She is smarter than me. She's much smarter than me. She's got me totally figured out. And the way she tests me is by essentially by trying to, you know, to play this, I'm going to battle with that. I know how to argue with him and I'm going to battle with him. I'm going to roll my eyes. She does it all. I mean, if there are five gestures that she can do in a disagreement, she does them all and she makes sure that I see them. And then I'm pulling my hair out and she's five minutes later, she cannot be fine. So where she tests me is it's purely a patient thing. It's purely, you know, how much can she say before I blow my top? But I don't blow my top. I just kind of quietly lose my mind. But, you know, she's a great kid, too. And, that, and that's, a, again, that's the thing that gets me crazy sometimes, is that they're both great kids. And so you just, you want to say yes to everything, but you're a dad, you know you can't. You know you can't. And you know you uh, so, shouldn't. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, it's funny, this past year was the first year that I did, that we had, they've grown out of a daddy-daughter dance. And, and boy, I, I, they were going to those, I was going to those with them when they were five years old, and I loved those so much it's dressing up whether it's putting on a bow tie or a suit and tie or whatever the case may be and they'd have their little dresses and I, I now I look back at those pictures and I've got them all and 
it's that thing of how did this happen? How do I have a 16 and a half year old daughter who's going to start looking at college letters are coming to her? And how do I have a 13 year old daughter who was student council president and she's trying to tell me about things like he sounds like a lawyer? And and I so I don't they just the, the two of them they're in the other room and I think they're outside my door actually right now listening to every word of this probably writing stuff down to bring back to me later. It's so true. They're smarter than us, but selectively. Just remember, if there's one thing guys do is we marry up. We outkicked our coverage. We find someone who looks at us and thinks, I can do a lot worse than this guy, and I can fix him up. You're smart. You're funny. I can work with someone like you. Have you, what has it been like with you? I mean, I don't want to turn this around and ask you questions, but did you get up to a point with your kids or did they get to a point with you where no matter what you say to them, the word that comes out of their mouths is, really? Really? And that's become the answer for everything. And sometimes I can't even have a regular conversation with the older daughter because she's saying really for everything. And I just look at her and say, for the love of God, can you, can you give me something more than one word? And what do you think she says? Really? Nah, see for and, me, see for so, me it's oh, dad. It's it's the heavy <laughs> sigh and then <sighs> dad. It's it's yeah. like I want to say something but I know it's going to cause a longer conversation that is going to go on for days so I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sigh and then go dad. Yeah. See, see and and they're growing up differently than I did because you know, I'm, as I said, I'm a hundred percent Greek. So I grew up in a family that, I mean, I mean, it's just yelling and I mean, a loving, wonderful household, but there was yelling, screaming and the normal tone of voice that was about eight and a half on the one to 10. And that was just good morning. And that's how people would come and visit at the house. You know, friends would come over and they'd leave. I, I think they would see horrified but, you know what who are you people my girls have not grown up that way they, they have grown up in a, in a you know it, it can get vocally volatile once in a while but nothing like when i was growing up and i don't know if i've gone i don't know if i've done that as sort of a you know sort of a kickback to, to what the way i grew up and i didn't want them to have experience that plus being a dad with two girls i'm a lot bigger than them i mean i'm almost six two and, you know, I'm a bigger guy, and I just, I'm aware of that, and I want them to have a healthy respect for the male figure in their life, and I don't want them to ever have any fear, but like you said, I also want them to know that, you know, daddy's got their back in any situation. If they screw up in public, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon against them in public, but they'll know that when they get home, they are going to hear about it. And there will be some sort of consequence. But, yeah, I, I think really mindful of that, about when they're testing and what have you. And, and to always remember there's a big size difference, and I'm their daddy, and I'm the first person that they ever, first male that they ever loved. I think sometimes I, I question that because of <laughs> the younger one. <laughs> but I'm just going to go with the assumption that we're all good. We could go on for hours and hours, but time's running out, so it's time for the rocking aid. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. Okay. 
Favorite board game you play with your daughters, and how often do you win? Candyland? I never win. I never win. I didn't know the, I didn't know the name of the damn game. Because I never win board games. So I just, yeah, I, I think that's really Candyland. And I, and I never win. Never won. You've acted, written, and played DJ, but what's your special talent? Being a drummer. With all that talent, there has to be a weakness. What can't you do? I'm a lousy swimmer. Never been able to do the backstroke. Favorite job you ever had? The one I have right now. Here's a tricky one. What's the one thing that you will not, no matter what anyone says, you will not pay for? I'm trying to think what even comes to mind with that. That's a great question. What won't I, what won't I pay for? I won't pay for extra dressing on a stout. And I always say that because I wanted a little extra dressing. With my with a with a salad that I was at a restaurant at before we had all this going on, and they said that would be two dollars extra, and I refused. Now, if you could return to the theater for one part, what's the one part that you still want to play? Uh, I would want to play Richard the Third. Everyone has nightmares. What's the one nightmare that you have? My Friday program. Oh, my Friday program. Uh, even though I'm afternoon drive, Monday through Thursday, my Friday program is, is 7 to 9 a.m., and my recurring nightmare is that I'm going to sleep right through my alarms, and I'm going to wake up, and I will have missed my Friday show. And the final question of the Rocky Nate, number of mobsters you have dealt with in your life? More than I care to admit. He's a drummer. Do not snap your finger at him. He loves Caesar salad, but cannot grill worth a damn, and he's a friend of Beyond the Mic. He can be heard on 940 ESPN in Fresno and can be found at CG Program on Twitter. Our friend Christopher Gabriel, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. It is absolutely my pleasure. I enjoyed it thoroughly, my friend. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.